So this morning we continue our sermon series throughout the book of Exodus and we do it with a good bit of amplification and bass that will rattle your bones there a little bit uh, as we wade into these waters of God's faithfulness. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 6 today. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn there so that throughout the week, the next six days where we're scattered throughout our city and our communities, you can go back to this text uh, to revisit what we talk about when we're gathered on Sunday morning. Uh, But what we're going to be wading into today is the continued relationship that we see between the main character of our story from Scripture, Moses, his relationship and his conversation with God who created him and invited him into relationship. And especially today, we're going to look at the promise that God gives to Moses, the promise that God gives to Moses that he will rescue his people. The exodus, the rescue from slavery in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea that is going to happen in the days ahead, it is real. And God promises this to Moses. But one of the interesting things you're going to see in Scripture is that as wonderful and as waited for as that promise is, it's a long time coming. And the people are tired and they have a hard time believing that truth. Now, I don't know if you ever feel that way. You, you want to believe that when someone promises you something, you can trust that. You want to be able to put your full weight behind that. And this happens all the time. Sometimes people have either broken their promises or things don't play out like what we were told. And so it's hard to believe the promises of people. Several weeks ago, as the weather was snowy and it was cold, and I say several weeks ago, but that was like 48 hours ago. It may be 70 today. But in Middle Tennessee, we get all four seasons in about a 48-hour window. Uh, It was cold, it was snowy, and I realized at some point that the tread on my tires was very low. I realized that is not good when you're traveling at high rates of speed on the interstate. So I took an afternoon to go over to the tire repair place to have my tires evaluated, to look at, and I know that I need those. So I went in, and when I walked in, apparently at just the same time that I felt led to go in and get my vehicle assessed for repairs. Everybody in the city chose the same day to go the same place. And when I walked in, there were a lot of people sitting around. There was a line waiting at the counter. And when I finally made my way up there, they said, listen, if you just need a couple of tires, I really believe we can get you out of here in about 30 to 45 minutes. I believe we can get you out of here in 30 and 45 minutes. And I want to confess to you publicly, I so wanted to believe that promise. But I began thinking about the reality of how many people were waiting in line before me, how many unanticipated things that might happen inside the workshop, and I knew all of the pressing things on my plate, and so I said, thank you so much, but I'll probably come back next week. Now, that was eight weeks ago, okay? (laughs) Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me, because I know I'm not the only one who puts things off, but I am not probably the only one who has trouble believing in the promises of people. Listen, for centuries, humans have struggled to believe the promises that have been extended to us. And it was no different in the day of Moses, that even when God promises to rescue them, it is so hard because life is such a grind. It is often hard, and we struggle to believe the promises of God. That's real. You may even feel that way today. But here's the truth that I hope that you hear and I hope you leave with and carries you throughout the week. Even when you struggle to believe the promises of God, you can always trust the character of God. 
that even when you struggle to believe the promises that God has made to you, you can always trust the one who has extended those promises. And sometimes that's exactly what will carry us through. I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about that comes to us in Exodus chapter 6. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? Beginning in verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. And I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and the hard labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. God told Moses, I have heard my people and I will deliver them. But they struggled to hear the promises of God because they were broken in spirit and the work was so hard. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there are so many of us here this morning that struggle to believe the promises that you extend to us because the work and life is so difficult. So Lord, I thank you that we have this scripture, that your people have had moments of struggle and doubt about the promises of God, but I praise you even more so that we are reading today that your promises are not dependent upon whether or not we can believe them. But your promises are guaranteed and anchored in the reality of who you are. And I pray that that would build confidence, joy, and excitement among your people about the future that you've invited us into. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been privileged over the last several weeks to see this ongoing conversation between God and Moses. And the conversation between God and Moses that we have peeked into today is where God reminds Moses once again that he is going to deliver his people. And the passage starts with him telling Moses that he has heard the cries and the groaning and seen the hardship of his people. I don't know if when you pray, you wonder, does God see what's happening? Is God aware of what's happening in my life? Have I slipped off of his radar? It is so easy when you're in the thick of hardship, when things are difficult, even being a follower of God, it is so easy in our flesh 
to question and wonder if he even sees or is aware of what's happening. But one of the realities that I hope that you will take note of this morning that we see in the text is this. God always hears the cries of his people and he cares about their hardship. He sees the cries and hears their prayers and he always cares about the hardships of his people. What he told Moses was that I have heard their groaning, I've heard their cries, and I'm going to do something about it. God told that to Moses. He did not tell the people. Moses is aware that God has heard and that he is moving to do something about it, but the people were not aware. Is it possible that when you and I pray, God has already begun to orchestrate the circumstances, the individuals, the details of the answer to our prayers? We're just not privy to it in the, mo- in the moment. We have this passage from thousands of years ago that reminds us when you pray, the Lord's ear is strong enough and his arm is long enough to hear and to do something about it. When you don't know if he's at work, don't quit praying. Don't quit seeking. Keep pursuing. Keep leaning into that. God tells him, I have heard the cries and I have seen what's happening with my people and I have remembered my promise to them. I've remembered my promise to them, is what God told them. In verse 5, he says, I've remembered my covenant. Covenant is a really big word for us as the people of God. And if you have a pen, this past week, as I read scripture, I sat around with a pen and a highlighter, a couple of different highlighters. And every time there was something meaningful or important that God was communicating about who he is and how he's at work in the lives of his people, I would circle or underline. You may want to circle or underline the word covenant. Covenant means that when God promises something to his people, he will be faithful to fulfill what he's promised. He is in relationship with his people. He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will be your God and you will be my people. There's nothing you can do to remove my pursuit of you and my desire for relationship with you. I'm all in. So even when Abraham failed as an individual, even when we are flawed or make poor decisions. God does not remove his offer of relationship off the table. He is a covenant God. That's incredibly important for us. That's how we mirror our marriages, our relationships, the promises that we make in the places where we live, where we work, and where we play. We want to echo that what we promise we are going to fulfill. We get our guidance on that. We get our example from that from God himself. He is a covenant God. And so here's what he says. Look at verses 6 through 8. In verses 6 through 8, he reminds Moses to tell the people that I'm a God of covenant. I'm in relationship with you and I will not fail what I've promised. Verse 6, therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I'll rescue you from slavery to them. Rescue is on the way. I have told them that, I've told you that, and I will see it through. But not only will I rescue you, I will redeem you. That's the rest of verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Listen, liberty and rescue and freedom is what we long for. But if you've ever been tied up in bondage, an unhealthy relationship, or if you have ever been shackled to the expectations of someone else that God never placed on your life, but maybe you've placed them on your life. When you become liberated from that, when you become rescued and delivered from that, it is a wonderful feeling. But many of us carry baggage. We carry wounds. 
psychologically, emotionally. It's one thing to be liberated. It's another to have the promise of God to say, and I'm going to bind you up. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore you. God promised that he would rescue them. He would redeem them. He would restore them. Verse 7, I will take you as my people. I told you I'm in relationship with you. I promise you I'll do that. And all throughout these verses that we read, I will bring you out. I will redeem. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land that I swore. I will give it to you as a possession. If you're getting tired of hearing me say, I will, there is an intentional redundancy in just these few verses. If anything else, you might want to underline every time you see I will. And I want to tell you something. I've never really been good at math. I've never been, really been good at math, and that's probably why right now you are so grateful that I don't have anything to do with the church finances. I don't count it. I don't total it. I don't do anything about that. But I'm pretty sure that it's six times in just these verses we read. I can count to six. Six times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. My promises are dependent upon who I am. When you can't or you won't, I will. And these are all of the things that God promised them. And one of the most consistent promises throughout Scripture is that God will take care of his people. Now, that's thousands of years ago, but that's today. The word of God is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that. So if you're here in this room this morning and, and you long for someone to care for you and to look out for you as your advocate like you do not have in your life, or you are a follower of God and you just need to be reminded that he is faithful to care for his people, this promise is true for us today. God promises to deliver, to rescue, to care for his people. God promises to deliver his people always, without fail. It's going to happen. And some of us need to be reminded of that this morning, that God will be faithful to deliver, to rescue, to heal, to bind up, to restore us. But I'll be the first to tell you that from the promise to the fulfillment often takes longer than I'm comfortable with. From the Lord promising, I will provide for you, I will care for you, I will restore this certain situation in your life, I will redeem that. From the promise to the fulfillment, seeing it come to fruition, it doesn't always play out kind of like what I want. It doesn't always unfold as I would do it. And plus, I'm a super impatient person. I don't know how many of us are impatient. But I long to see the promises of God come to fruition in a moment. And Scripture says that God is not keeping time the way that we do. He is not slow in keeping his promises as we might understand it. You know, this is, this is where we live. We know that God has promised us things to provide, to take care, to heal, to restore. But we, we struggle when it doesn't play out like we want. And we often wonder, what is the purpose If God has promised to deliver every follower of God in this room to ultimately rescue us and it hasn't happened yet, then why is there a delay? God promised this to the people, his people, who were slaves in Egypt. They hadn't been rescued yet. They're still in bondage, but God promised it. What is the delay in the rescue? For us, we know that he's promised to heal, to restore, to redeem. What's the delay in seeing that come to fruition? You know, this past week, one of the greatest privileges we have is to pray for other people. And this past week, someone in our congregation asked the staff to pray for them. They said, I've got a battery of medical tests that I've gone in for. And they said, if everything's fine, we'll just call you and tell you everything's fine. And this individual said, she said, 
Hey, they, they asked me to come in for the results. They asked me to come in for the results, and that's a little unsettling. And I said, that, that would be unsettling to me. I understand that. Are you, are you, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned, like, that maybe something's wrong. They didn't want to tell me over the phone. I asked her, could I share this story? I won't share her name, but I asked, can I share that story? Because I think there's a lot of us that are in the room that are dealing with, we know the Lord has promised to take care of us. This is someone who loves Jesus, serves Jesus, blesses others in Jesus' name, who was going in for a very unsettling experience. So I prayed that this individual, when they walked into the doctor's office, the presence of God would be so thick in that place. They would be reminded when they walked into the waiting room, when they walked into the office, when they walked into the appointment room, that God was already there before they arrived. So that afternoon, this person texted several of us on staff and said, well, the, the appointment, it, it went okay. They told me that several things that, are, that, that were very concerning to me came back negative. But there were a lot of other things they said, we don't know what it is. So we're just going to treat the symptoms. We're going to treat the symptoms. And I don't know how many of you have been told, we don't know what's going on, but we'll just treat the symptoms. I mean, it's, it's some clarity, but it's not a whole lot of clarity. And I thought to myself, I, I know that's got to be frustrating. That's got to be confusing at some level. That's got to be like, God, what are you up to here? Because she and I both know the promises of God. That by the finished work of Jesus Christ, namely how Isaiah lays this out in chapter 53 of his book, he tells us that we are healed by the wounds of Christ and by the shedding of his precious blood. So ultimately, God's going to heal this young lady in our congregation. And we're praying for it now. We're praying for the symptoms to clear up. So we ask, Lord, what is the delay in bringing greater clarity? And for some of us, we have other diagnoses that the doctors have told us. This is exactly what you're dealing with. And we are praying, Lord, you've promised that you would heal us, make us whole. Why the delay? That's real life. That's real faith. We don't have it all figured out. It's not cotton candy Christianity. This is where the people of God live. But I want to show you something that the Apostle Paul shared with the church in Rome. Apostle of the Apostle Paul shared with the church in Rome. It's in the book of Romans, and it comes to us from Romans chapter 8. And you may already know this passage, but just read it with me again. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Please note the text does not say that all things are good. All things are not good. There's a whole lot of things I'm like, I do not like that. Get it out of here. Like, I don't want any part of that. Don't like it. This world is beautiful, but it's broken, and there's a lot of it I don't like. Does not say that all things are good, but what does it say, church? It says that we know, for those who love God, that all things will work together for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, that literally means for those that he knew would place their faith in him. For those that are followers of God through their faith in Jesus, he also predestined, that means predetermined, he predetermined that for anyone who places their faith in Christ, he was going to conform them to the image of his son. To conform them to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined or predetermined, he also called them. And those who he called, he also justified That means he has forgiven us through our faith in Jesus. He has applied to us the finished work of Christ on the cross. We have been justified, just as if we had never sinned in our lives. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those of us that are 
followers of God by our faith in Jesus. We have been justified. We have been forgiven of our original sin. We have repented of it, and we have placed our faith in Jesus, but we have not been fully glorified yet. Our bodies are still broken. This is a beautiful but broken world. And the promise of God is that I will rescue you, my people in Egypt. The promise of God is that I will rescue, redeem, heal, and restore people at the church at Avenue South who follow me. I will do that. But until I bring that promise to fruition, maybe in the way that you want to see it happen, I will use the circumstances of your life to shape and conform and mold you into the image of my son so that you can draw closer to me and closer to my son and bring me glory throughout the remainder of your life and I'll flood your heart with joy that I'm at work in your life. I'll flood your heart with joy that I'm at work in your life. God has promised to provide for his people. Maybe it's a physical illness. Maybe it's an infirmity. I can promise you this. The Lord may rescue many of us by bringing us to his side. And that when we open our eyes before the great throne of the Lamb of God, we will be made fully whole and realize that he has answered that prayer in the way that we have wanted him to. But you can put your faith in the promises of God, not because of our ability to believe in them, but because of God's character and his nature, the one who extended the promise of God. You know, this past week, there's, uh, there's probably no easy way to say this. There's no graceful way to say this, but um, this past week, I fell down the back stairs. I, I did. I did. Anybody ever fallen down the steps? Have you ever fallen down the steps? It's a whole lot easier to do than you think it is. I've been doing this our whole life, walking down the steps. Our steps are kind of so small, and my feet are like size 13. Uh, my whole life in the house that we live in, I walk down sideways. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can't walk like this because your feet don't fit. Like, so I walked down sideways, and I was coming down the back steps. And um, I didn't have my phone in my hand, so I wasn't a distracted texter. So cut me some slack there. But I was reading something. I was reading something, and we are such impatient people. I could have totally waited these 20 steps to get to the bottom. I could have been reading and been like, okay, I'm going to do my sideways walk down the steps. I don't do that when I'm walking down the steps like that, but that's what it felt like to tell you. So I'm walking down the steps, um, and I got almost to the bottom, and I don't know why I'm so impatient, but I just uh, opened up what I was reading, and I just, I missed. I missed. And the first thing, my, my pointer toe on my right foot stuck in the ground and kind of pole vaulted me forward. And I fell face down on the ground. And it was such a loud and horrendous racket that I heard Amy say, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Aaron, Aaron. And it was kind of like this, did you really just fall down the steps? But what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she came running down. In that moment, my big toe hurt so bad. I couldn't hear anything. You ever been hurt so much, the pain is so intense, you can't hear or process information. I literally, when she found me, was planking face down in the back stairwell. And she came there and was like, I'm here, I'm here, what do you, what do you need, what do you need? And I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking like, this is so not chivalrous or like impressive as like the leader of our household. He's planking in the back stairwell because he fell down. And it, and it literally hurt like right now. Have you ever like broken a toe or something or you got a blister and it hurts to wear shoes? You didn't know that when I walked up on the platform, but welcome to my world. It hurts to wear this shoe today. Like it was so painful that I I really don't remember what she said, but I will tell you this. I thought to myself, there's no one else I'd rather have right here seeing me in a moment of vulnerability that I can trust with this experience and that can help than her. I could not hear what she was saying, but I knew she was there and that made the difference for me. 
I really didn't want the kids to see me. That is so like, hey, everybody at school while we're eating lunch, my dad fell down the stairs. <laughs> don't want them. Don't want anybody else. Don't want the neighbor. Like, I couldn't see or hear because the pain was so intense. I'm sincere. But knowing she was there, let me know. I'll get through this because of who she was and who she has been to me. Because she has always been faithful. She has always been consistent. Praise God for it. I'm so grateful for that. That I knew having her there was going to make the difference. You know, sometimes we struggle because life is so hard and the prayer has not been answered that we struggle to believe that God, what He's promised, will come to fruition. And when the pain is so intense, did you see that in verse 9? Moses told the people, but they couldn't listen. That means they couldn't hear it because they were so broken spirited. It's okay to struggle to believe the promises of God. It's okay to believe or to struggle to believe the promises of God. But if you struggle to believe the promises of God, don't let your doubt or your despair, the assumption that he's not good or he's not there or he's not fair, don't let that define your faith experience. And let me tell you why. If you struggle to believe the promises of God, don't let your doubt your despair, or your pain be the defining aspect of your faith experience. Let me tell you why. The Great Commission is what Jesus gave us as the mission of the local church. And that is to go out and make disciples, introduce people to the risen, resurrected Savior, the one who has the keys of life and death, the one who can heal, redeem, and restore everybody on this planet. There is enough doubt and there's enough discouragement and there is enough struggle that it may help us by identifying with others, sharing our story. This is when I struggle to believe the promises of God. This is what happened in my life. That, that can help build some bridges. But if all we are known for is our doubt or our despair, that does not encourage, empower, or lead anyone into the hope That there is help on the other side of that doubt. However, when you don't know if you can believe the promise, when you don't know if you can, if you have the strength to believe the promise of God, trust the one who made the promise. Share with others how God is at work in your life, how his character and his grace and his nature have been manifested in your life. This individual that I shared with you that had the doctor's office visits this week, there was concern there. There was curiosity about what what is God up to and why isn't there a little more clarity? But this person clearly communicated, I know that God will be faithful. I know that he will keep his promise to care for me even if it's not on the same timetable that I have. When you don't know if you can believe the promises that God has extended to you, you can always trust the one who made the promise. And I want to show you how you can know. This is not just what I believe. I want to stake you to the good news of God's word. I want you to look at how God opens up the conversation with Moses in verse 2. At the very beginning of the conversation, he tells him, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That means Yahweh. It's the name Yahweh, which is translated into Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah, which means this. I am a covenant 
keeping, promise keeping God. He goes on to say in verse 3, The previous generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew me as El Shaddai. It doesn't say that in your verse in English, but that's the Hebrew name for God Almighty. It says that in verse 3. They've known me as God Almighty. I have the power to move mountains. I have the ability to part seas. We're about to see that in just a few chapters. Previous generations have known me as having the ability to do all those things. But now I am letting you know I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I keep my promises. And this is how you will know me moving forward. If I promise you something, I will be faithful to bring it to fruition. So even when you struggle to feel that I'm good, even when you doubt that I'm at work, you can know that I will always be faithful to my promises to my people. When you don't know if you can believe the promises of God, know that you can trust him. And what he promised us all throughout the Old Testament, I can summarize the Old Testament. Don't not read the Old Testament because I'm about to summarize it for you, okay? But the whole Old Testament is you are jacked up, you're broken, you're flawed. Well, they knew it, we know it. You can't fix yourself. You can't be religious enough or moral enough or nice enough or do enough social good. You cannot close the gap of separation between me and you. You can't remove your sin. So guess what? I love you. I've always wanted a relationship with you. I still want a relationship with you. So I will send my perfect son to lay down his life on the cross and he will take into his person. He'll take your brokenness, your flaws, your jadedness. He will absorb that into himself and by the wounds on his back and the nails that are driven through his leg, he will be crushed for your, for our transgressions. And by the blood that flows freely by his wounds, he will purchase and provide healing. God made the promise that he would care for us, that he would always be with us, never leave us or forsake us, and that he would ultimately rescue us. There is not a greater, more prominent example of God making a promise and keeping a promise than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The finished work of God is that he keeps his promise in Christ's death. The raising of Jesus is his promise that I will give you new life. I will give you do-overs. I will extend second chances. I will extend to you a new quality of life that you can't find anywhere else that is not dependent upon the shifting sands of culture or the temporary fleeting desires of this world. I will give you that, and it comes to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And all throughout Scripture, God makes a promise. And from this text, until when Jesus came, a couple thousand years. But it happened. And all throughout Scripture, God makes promises. And it may take longer than what you and I'd like, but he always makes good on his promises. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to doubt. As long as there's faith, there will always be doubt. But don't let that define your faith experience. When you struggle to believe the promises of God, you can always trust the one when you're down and out, laying on the ground that says, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I've always been with you. I'll always be with you. The character and the nature of God is what gives us hope because sometimes when we can't or we won't, He will. That makes all the difference. 
Praise God, our faith and our existence and everything about us is not dependent upon us because all of the promises of God are anchored in the reality that they come true because of who He is in spite of who we might be. Let me invite you to pray with me this morning.